verse for all five, but we don't all know them, so the first and the last verses of the red flag. <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Option No Longer Exists, the big old fight in the aisle of Labour's broad church. With me on the left, John Bounds, and my comrade on the centre. Again, right. I'm really uncomfortable about the word comrade. No. You are my comrade, you're my mucker. You were, we're on the same oh, side. Oh yeah, yeah, no, comrade in the pub for sure. Broadly on the same side of the world, uh, sorry, the political world. But, uh, you know, comrade, it just sounds so communist. Well, that's, um, well, I'll share uh, I'll share a bag of crisps with you, uh, if not um, policies on uh, how those crisps should be uh, produced, warehoused, distributed or um, priced. I guess in your world that the crisps are, um, you know, in a plain white packet with the word crisps written on in a plain and clear typeface. Possibly in Welsh underneath as well, right? You, you mean there's Smith's Salt and Shake? Um, well, as long as we've well, got... It can't be Smith. Smith's is a brand. The brand's a capitalist. Maybe the uh, factory is run uh, in a town called Smith. I don't know. We'll work it out. The um, it's We're recording now just after uh, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn have met at Prime Minister's Questions. Is that for the first time or the second time? Because Boris seems to have been very good at avoiding... He Any hasn't done a good scrutiny. job of avoiding them. I can tell you it's the second because I remember watching the first. The first was weird because it was the first time I've seen Jeremy Corbyn seem to win a PMQs for three years. Well, I, I think he's won a few, but we all know that Prime Minister's Questions isn't about the questions or about the answers because there normally aren't any. These days it's all about what can be clipped, put on a little square video with some captions above and below and uh, shared on Facebook. Well, obviously. I mean, that's how the entire world works now. Although this one was a little awkward because it did have to start with the whole discovery of bodies in a van thing. Yeah, I mean, that's not if that's not a harbinger of um, sort of future doom about um, closing borders and uh, preventing movement of people who want to move, I don't know what is. Yeah, and immediately after PMQs, I was uh, turned the screen off um, while Pretty Patel and then Diane Abbott were both trying very hard to say that it was all about the bodies and the families and not at all about the obvious political implications. There's um, is a weird sort of uh, detente, isn't there, sometimes in Parliament and also in political speeches when um, a tragedy happens. I mean, not that tragedies don't have causes that could be presented, prevented by political actions. And it's the it's almost like the the um, the labelling of it as a tragedy prevents discussion of it, at least for a little time. And, the, exactly. whether... and that, that time, it can be incredibly short, can't it? I mean, it used to be the difference uh, between, you know, the moment the second plane hit the, uh, the tower and the start of the war. Um, but now it, it can be minutes. Well, during the um, last election, I forget which of the terrorist atrocities uh, or terrorist incidents that um, caused a pause in the campaigning, but it was one where um, the it was on a Sunday and we'd got some uh, canvassing slated to do at lunchtime, and the message came out that um, national politics had stopped um, but local politics could continue, so we were we went out door knocking. And on that um, canvassing session, we did have one guy lean out of his window in his vest, shouting, "Politics is stopped for today." And uh, I don't believe he was going to vote Labour anyway, um, <laughs> purely by 
dint of um, the, where he lives because very few of them do. But um, the but there was a, a huge hoo ha about um, Labour MP for Norwich, um, Clive Lewis saying uh, about Grenfell, uh, burn neoliberalism, not people, which um, I thought was a very sensible thing to do. It's almost like it's, it would seem to be one of those statements that no one could disagree with. I suppose it depends on his approach to that burning. I mean, if you're saying burn neoliberalism, are you saying it in a metaphorical, bring it, you know, to an end, that kind of thing? Or is he literally saying that a certain segment of, you know, maybe half the world's population should have their brains burned out? I think he's maybe suggesting that a very small um, section of the population who um, benefit from this, that 1%, should have their opportunities to further entrench um, the problematic capitalist system um, for the 99% of us should have those opportunities burnt. Um, He's a very nice man, Sorry, when I was saying brains burned out, I made it sound worse than I thought. I was actually thinking something more like that nice Jim Carrey movie. Where they forget things. And then fall in love again. Oh um, yes, the eternal sunshine. That's it. Eternal we, sunshine. You might as well do exactly. So, if we could actually remove the programming to capitalism in everyone's minds, then maybe we'd all wake up and want to be communists. Well, I do every day anyway. So, what have you? What are your thoughts then, Ad, about the uh, the current state of play? And I'm um, I'm particularly interested on. Your thoughts. I presume we're edging back towards uh, the, Europe. We're edging back towards Europe. Um, well, maybe, I mean, maybe that is. You know, maybe, are, maybe. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's the. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. We're certainly edging back to them until the thirty-first of January. It looks like. But what I'm really interested in is uh, the nineteen. Uh, the um, the 19 Labour MPs uh, that backed Johnson's um, withdrawal agreement in the House of Commons yesterday, um, who have been sort of um, weirdly praised by the Conservatives, um, and they, they've what done it. Weirdly, uh, they voted with the Conservatives. I'm sure the Conservatives are very pleased about it. These people are disgraces. But, the, but this is the interesting. This is the bit I wanted to drill down with you because you look at the list. That's a fairly right of labor leaning list and i was wondering you know given these are people that you would normally you know have political comradeship with you would probably agree with a lot of what they say in fact i know you agree with a lot of what some of them say um but on this issue what makes them divulge from the right or is the right or is this the right and the other people are just too scared to um disobey the whip tricky one i have to say um i think a lot of people in the labor party are very tempted by the whole let's just have a deal please make it all go away even uh, as we were chatting before we hit the record button i would quite like some of this to go away it's just i want it to go away having won and the real problem is a win for me remaining in the eu requires lots and lots of things to happen in the right order and any one failing and you end up leaving the EU. So a big terrible thing went wrong in 2016 from my point of view, but then incrementally lots of things have sort of nudged in the right direction. The government have repeatedly been able, you know, failed to get over that line, mostly because of shooting themselves in their foot. You uh, you know, it's the ERG that's been holding that rifle. But the <laughs> the ERG is now eventually 
thinking to itself, well, maybe we can get some Brexit now and some Brexit later, which I can't believe it took them. Well, with any other group of people, I wouldn't be able to believe it took three years to get that thought through their heads. But what looking at Marc Francois. So um, who's going to tell Marc Francois that we're not leaving on the 31st and where will the explosion be visible from? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you just sort of see chunks of meat raining down and... Oh, so, I, I, this is quite an interesting thing to me because I was I was thinking about this the other day. So we had the the um, Venn diagrams, I suppose you could draw. Uh, and weirdly, I was in a room the other day with a uh, a portrait of Mister Venn, who invented the Venn diagram. It's very interesting. Um, but uh, it wasn't. It was, in fact, a Venn diagram. But it wasn't circles. It was an oil painting. The um, but the Venn diagram of people who uh, voted for and didn't vote for May's deal. It seems that a lot of people thought, okay, we didn't. They didn't drill down to the fact that some of them were not voting for Mail's deal because it was insane, and some of them were not voting for May's deal because it wasn't insane enough. And now the slightly more insane Johnson deal is available. It turns out there were more that were, were not voting for it because it wasn't insane enough. Um, and a lot of those people who voted for it anyway have still gone, nah, it doesn't really matter. And and does that include those those Labour 19? Because although real Labour, real Labour Brexit person Kate Hoey isn't on that 19, of course. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, presumably because she wants the, the full insanity. She, she's big. She's she no big. longer she, wants to bother voting either way. She or? She's pretty much taking her whip from the DUP. Um, her and Arlene Foster were apparently uh, dining in a cafe um, a, a few hours before the vote together. So, so she she's looking for the you know she's got some sort of unionist credential. Yes, I, I, I heard that as well. So that I didn't know she actually ended up doing it though. But yes, now I see the list. I think that there are quite a lot of people who might have been in my area of the party before. I guess who just see it as democratic duty or they look, they're looking at the situation and they're incorrectly thinking to themselves, well, if we don't resolve it, it'll carry on being harmful. What they're really not doing is thinking about how these people will be remembered. Because if you are one of the people who helped Boris Johnson, the Lib Dems are not going to let you forget that. You could, you know, you could lose a very safe Labour seat. They're, well, they're making a gamble, aren't they? Because if they are doing it for their own electoral purposes, and let's face it, we don't think any of them are really doing it for Labour's electoral benefit. If they're doing it for their own electoral benefit in a forthcoming election, they're making the gamble, aren't they, that their actual vote, their action, will be more widely publicised than the Conservative and Lib Dem and Brexit Party attack lines. And you'd think any MP would be brighter than that. Wouldn't you? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the list and it includes John Mann, so I'm thinking, no, there are some MPs that are simply not brighter than that. But the um... No, no, and we're seeing Caroline Flint on that list as well. Um, and she's certainly put herself well above, you know, she sees herself as nationally important. And unfortunately, the, um, or fortunately, the uh, Labour membership at the um, last deputy leadership election did not think that. Um, but there, it's the. I think they are miscalculating. It's the same miscalculation that a lot that left for the uh, Tiggers made. I think they made they really overestimate the value of their name. 
or their position over, you know, when it comes I to think, an election? I think with the Tiggers, it was more about the position. And I think that they, perhaps naively now, but, you know, I can be like that too, assumed that some momentum might be created. And they were very close to getting there. Um, and I suspect that they might have got a lot closer had it not been for a few missteps on their part. It's um, and there are others on the list that um, you can kind of see. You can you can kind of see their position. So Lisa Nandy, for example, has laid out her position quite clearly, and whether or not it's a good position, you can you can hear it. And she very much thinks that the way to to go is still she thinks the way to go is to, to try and engineer a soft Brexit through amending the withdrawal act. Not that you can with uh, amend the the act, the sort of um, agreement itself, but you could amend the political declaration. I would imagine via via House yeah. of Commons. I mean, vote. that's that's the the thing we have to gently remind any of the head banging idiots who think of this as it being done. You know, as soon as this deal is done, then. The clock is ticking to a no-deal Brexit again, but the clock is goes back a year and a little bit, depending on which date they eventually settle on. And then there we have an incredibly short time to do a free trade deal of some description. And at that point, the racist lunatics can check out, and either you'll have a new Conservative government with a majority swept to power uh, and lots of people who are... It's unfair to say Thatcherite because more right, you know, you know the sort of post-Thatcherite hard right who believe in all of the right wing of Margaret Thatcher, but none of her and limited, I admit, social credentials. You know, she <laughs> thought she was doing good for the people, whereas these people are just seeing it from the point of view of the money because they they have a slightly robotic view of the universe. It's yeah, I think yeah. We, I th well, that's the that's the thing, isn't it? And the um, the stuff coming out of Number Ten before um, the program uh, motion was voted down uh, was that the um, the idea would be that oh, that's it, we're going to have a general election. Oh, and suddenly, as soon as it actually does get voted down, that isn't so attractive. I mean, do, does it strike you? Does it strike you that that threat has, that threat obviously didn't work? But is it working with some of them? Did it didn't work in terms of getting enough people over the line? But are some of that nineteen threatened by the idea of a general election in general, and they believe Boris Johnson can get one? Or oh, I mean, Boris Johnson obviously can get one. Can he? I would think, because all he needs to do is go for the you know the short piece of legislation to get the half and half thing, and. Uh, you know, there's a time the timetabling issue. This 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 vote, if you like, demonstrates that at least twenty MPs are going to vote for that election. But you think that you think those twenty those twenty MPs would vote for the election because I'm not sure they would because I think that nineteen, apart from John Mann, who's going to the uh, House of Lords, um, the rest of those would seem to be people who are actively scared of a general election, certainly at this point. Well, it do, I mean, there's no good scenario for... If, if, if they see themselves as, you know, centre-left, if you like, if they see themselves as not particularly excited by the idea of going into a general election under Corbyn's leadership, which, you know, 
we've spoken about this before and we won't get drawn into, but you can understand why people might think that might be bad for their electoral uh, purposes. Um, they're not going to get... That doesn't change him. So we've got to assume that they're being drawn at least a little bit by their perception that the best thing that can happen is that the deal is done and then we start talking about something else. And if you think that, you're a moron. I think we will start talking about something else, but I don't think it's actually... Um, uh... Yeah, we'll, we'll use a different phrase, but we'll talk <laughs> about something that's effectively the same thing and we'll still have that ticking time bomb at the end of it. I think that's I think that's really true. And there's almost value, I think, in getting that election over sooner rather than later, as long as you think that the correct side can win. Um, and as you know, I do. I think it's hard, but I think it's doable. So the idea that um, if you think that if you think that a Tory party could survive in office for the entire sort of year and a half of the um, transition period, um, you're not going to get an awful lot of legislation through. No, um, although they might try and push their banning all Labour voters policy through. Well, the Tories would probably vote for that. And let's face it, I'm sure they could get the DUP to vote for that as well. Um, vote suppression in Northern Ireland is a long history. Um, so that, I mean, so in, in theory, for the country, no, I always think it's better for the country to have a general election and try and get the Labour Party in. But you would definitely think that it's only people on, the only people in the Labour Party who would be against having a general election must be people who think they're going, we're going to lose. Yeah. Um, perhaps it comes down to super brain. I mean, also, you probably want a general election as soon as possible if you think you're going to the Lords immediately afterwards, get a nice, safe job and never worry about elections again. Um, but I'm just wondering uh, if, if the whole thing is just to get enough people scared about the idea of a general election that they're not necessarily thinking with the party. That's true. And the um, as I've been I've been told that the civil service suggests that you can't have an election after December the 12th in a year because um, all the church halls and school halls are busy uh, with um, Christmas pantomimes and uh, and things like that and carol concerts. An election is a kind of pantomime. Oh, God, it is. And unfortunately, at this moment, it's in front of us rather than behind us. But the... Um, I should have said, oh, no, it isn't. But the... Um, <laughs> Sorry, I missed the opportunity. The, uh, well, oh, yes, it is, obviously. <laughs> it is, yeah. But so that means that your, um, your, your last opportunity to call that election, um, given the, the six weeks needed, is on the 31st. Of this month. Of this month. That's the, that's the, last, that's the last day that a 2019 general election could be called. I thought you could knock out an election in four weeks. I think it's um it's six it's six I think the uh that it need that it needs to happen and although oh, six six weeks notice four week campaign or something yeah maybe that's yeah that might be it four week um yeah four week short campaign or something but the uh, it's it's I think it's incredibly unlikely because I think Boris Johnson is waiting and according to the um uh, Corbyn Johnson meeting that's supposedly taking place. Uh, earlier this afternoon, where of course, where surprise surprises you told me they couldn't agree on anything, 
Um, it's it's hard to imagine, isn't it? You know, they're they're two such similar personalities, and as we've seen, you know, they you know they both work for the the betterment of the country rather than worrying about their own party positions, that kind of thing. Um, so obviously, they were bound to get together and sort something out. It's, it's really really surprising that nothing came out of it. So the I, you have to assume that um, Boris now has to wait for the uh, the sort of offer of an extension from the EU, which we can, I think it's nailed on that it will be one. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's... The European leaders back the call to grant, is the, with the news an hour ago as we record, although whether that's the official response from the EU or just that they generally broadly think so and they'll definitely get round to writing a letter which they may or may not sign in a few days. Well, it's apparently uh, the sticking point is Macron, who really doesn't want to do it. Um, but he's on his own, and if uh, you, he has to be, I would have said, led by um, Leo Vradka and and for one reason, and Angela Merkel for the other. Although it has to be said that um, Merkel's influence over Macron is is steadily declining, as she is now laming. You know, yeah, she's la- as as lame duck as you can be and still be Grand High Chief of Germany. Um, well, I think she could be worse. There are there are places in Berlin that are underground that she should, could be and still be and be leader of Germany, but affecting fewer policies. The um, mercifully, it's been a while since that sort of thing's happened, hasn't it? Well, not not so far uh, long ago, if you believe the uh, Leave EU um, continual propaganda. But I, I think it's I think it's and it's a nailed uncertainty that it will come. I think it would be surprising if they don't agree to the 31st of January extension. With Europe, there is a real deadline that we don't really talk about when we talk about the extensions. We are obsessed with the UK position and the going back and forth and that kind of thing. But in the EU, most people are thinking more about the seven-year budget planning and whether they're planning for the UK or not, and that has to be dealt with by this summer. So whatever extension we get, we're only going to get one or two of them. Uh, So I imagine... That might weigh on the French mind as well. So that if that has to be decided by this summer, they need some time to do that. Although I suppose they have been doing it in general, but do it in sort of active, um, you know, active parliaments almost. So uh, yeah, it does. It eventually it gets voted on, uh, and if the previous occasion is anything to go by, the French will be very keen on it being slightly higher than the Germans. Um, and it was the Cameron uh, with Merkel who pushed to keep it under a certain amount the previous time um, to show, you know, showing some level of success on Cameron's part. Um, while the French were quite enthusiastic about spending lots of money, especially if it wasn't all theirs. So we have to assume then that the um, the 31st of January looks quite a good deadline from the EU's point of view as well. And maybe um, maybe the the drafters of the, the the Ben Act knew that. Oh yeah, they absolutely did. Um, and I think that January and possibly even one more six month chunk is as much as you're going to see. So if if we don't get that general election and a, a fresh government before Christmas, that's a remarkably short time for any incoming government to do anything. Yeah, absolutely. Although they probably wouldn't need a lot of time to do anything, you know, depending on the 
democratic event and and the outcome well we have to yeah we we know really that the deal that labor want to put to the people in a referendum is by and large an off the shelf one yeah i mean well we hope hope that it's broadly norway we would very much like to submit to all of your rules without having any democratic say. Well, there, there is a, a, a thought that the um, EU would agree to some sort of customs union consultation process for new rules, but the um, yeah, it, it would be it would be less less democratic, and that and that's I think that's one of the great hopes for a referendum on on that deal is that people just go, oh, it's not worth it, is it? Yeah, again, I mean, I, this is this is my, you know, obviously that's sort of what I want, I've wanted all this time, but I am vaguely conscious that people seem to be a bit, you know, dumb. So they might hear that and go, oh, there are two scenarios here, one where I do have to go and vote every time there's an EU election, and another time where I don't, and I'll go for the don't. Most people do not vote when there's an EU election, and that's half the problem. The uh, Oh, we had a EU, it's not democratic. Oh, we don't vote for them. Well, you didn't go. I went and voted. I had, this is how much I love democracy. I went and voted when there was the only election on the ballot paper that closed our church halls and schools on a Thursday was the uh, Oxfordshire Police and Crime Commissioner. That was the only one. We had no elections alongside it. Um, in Oxford they did because they have city council elections, but we don't have them, so it was out of sync with our um, county and district council elections. So, it was, uh, yeah, that was the only thing on the ballot paper. I have no idea who I voted for. I mean, I, I know I it was a Labour candidate, but... Yeah, I understand there's a great deal of disappointment for uh, the Prime Minister, who may or may not have put his thingy in a pig, uh, was the lack of dem enthusiasm for that particular bit of democracy well, that and the mayors well the, the mayors seem to be quite good maybe on a, a, a future episode and um, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the mayoral selection for the west midlands which is hotting up um that'd be good to be, it'd be very exciting well it certainly is isn't it it's in the news today yeah it's on the front of the guardian well they, they managed to find a way to um, smear the labor party <laughs> so of course it is i think they just report it don't uh, i think a member of the Labour Party has found a way to smear the Labour Party, which is how these things usually happen. Well, the a member, there's got, considering there are five hundred thousand uh, plus of us, that you think you'd one will find the time to do it, pretty much every uh, every day. <laughs> or, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I guess. And the, the thing is, they really sort of go out there and enthusiastically do it. Not thinking that there are people not in the Labour Party who sometimes see these things and it influences their voting decision. I think that's the thing. I think every member of the Labour Party assumes everyone is also a member of the Labour Party. Well, I mean, who, apart from you, who would I talk to that wasn't? The but these but these. <laughs> that's it. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. So you can't vote. I had an interesting uh, note through my door uh, yesterday. It was uh, delivered by hand, and it was a... Um, I thought, what's this? So I opened it up, and it was someone in the local Labour Party's membership card with a, a letter saying that they had cancelled their direct debit and uh, they didn't want to enter into it any discussion about why. 
which is nice of them, except as a branch secretary, I don't even have the authority to cancel their membership. But I, I can't even raise that with the system. The, the, the system has to raise that, and their cancelling their direct debit is the most efficient way of doing it. The sort of framing, the media framing of everything um, has really been thrown into sharp focus uh, this week. And it seems that journalism, or the way political journalism is working, is really sort of, I don't know, breaking apart. And uh, It doesn't really... It's uh, Political journalism is just as at sea when there's more than two choices to be discussed uh, as everything else, isn't it? It's... You know, now we're we're seeing a structural system which is designed to vote for yes or no. You know, by which I mean the parliamentary mechanism, as as much as the um, Brexit referendum was a problem like that, we've gone on to have a series of problems created by people who have been very no, but not very yes. So happy to vote certain deals down, but never happy to vote for alternatives add amendments that kind of thing the only thing they voted for even now is you know delaying things and annoying things and you know even where they voted for a deal they made sure that they didn't vote for the deal to actually make its way through the system it's but but even more fascinating than that i think is the the idea that you get um the the big major political journalistic players essentially they i mean i'm sure they do other things behind the scenes i'm sure they go to meetings i'm sure they do all sorts of things i'm sure they have to like select their wardrobe or do all sorts but most of their day seems to be essentially copying and pasting things from text and saying a government source says um and they're being absolutely played yeah um that does seem to be how things work now doesn't it um I understand that, you know, over the TV interview era, era, there was the standard three-minute interview and then enough training was created that pretty much anyone who was likely to have a three-minute interview knew exactly how to not say anything in three minutes. So then the broadcasters responded by creating longer interviews and so there was an opportunity to break the person down in minutes four, five and six of the interview. So, naturally, the training moves on. Um, But moving in the other direction, when the person says what they think or what they're told to think or something horrific in 320 characters or less... You can get quite long. That's it. Yeah, or, yeah, if they do those really long ones that are annoying. Multiple multiple texts. They've all got iPhones, these people. But I was going to ask you whether or not that means that the... um, the option of decent mainstream political journalism exists, or is it just broken now? Is are we ever going to get anything again? Ooh, tough. I think that the the option exists, but it's the audience needs to opt in, and the audience is less inclined to opt in these days. They don't. Not everyone wants a complicated answer and so some people choose it and I I guess it's the difference between the people who choose um, half post or whatever which tends to have relatively long form things but still quite interesting or people who read BuzzFeed 
it, but it's not even that, is it? It's it's there's a distinct lack of deliberate analysis. So um, Peter uh, Oborn, who um, here you go. So we, we, I was going to say, uh, ask whether Peter Oborn was clever or stupid because he seems a very clever man that he's right on some things and very wrong on others. Um, but interestingly, he's um, he's called out um, Robert Preston and uh, Laura Koonsberg about this sort of simple repeating of number ten sources. Um, to which Robert Preston has got very annoyed and very defensive. He is your favourite, isn't he, Robert Preston? Uh, well, I, well <laughs> in a way... How, in the, a, the Doctor Who of politics. In a way, the um, since him and Laura Kunzberg act in remarkably similar ways, it is less problematic and less open to challenges of sexism or, or whatever to point out the flaws in Robert Preston's work. Uh, I do look for a day that we can point out the flaws in people uh, based on the content of the work they do rather than their uh, gender or other Well, it's, it's some well, you have to admit that some of the, some people who criticize Laura Kunzberg do it in a gendered way. Um, and some of the criticism is probably harshened because of um, their gender. So while I do criticize her work, I tend to use um uh, Robert Preston, as an as an example, as a man of um, extreme privilege, um, but he, he but and also Lorcanspick doesn't seem because of the fact that she works for the BBC will not respond. So the other quite often the, the responses to his the criticism of Preston is enlightening um, because he basically he had, he had a bit of a hissy fit. He was going like, "You must admit that I would." Uh, I've got. I would be right to share these pieces of information with you, and I have to trust the audience that they can do context and analysis. And you're going, well, mate. The con. Well, that's a mistake. Well, the con. Well, the context is that he keeps repeating these things that then turn out not to be true, and the analysis is that someone's being played, and also, Robert, aren't you paid quite heavily to do the analysis for us? Is he? I don't know. This is this is the thing. I genuinely don't know anymore whether, you know, because um, with uh, Laura Kunzberg as well, who often seems to not even put in the most obvious bits of analysis as she speaks, you know, or as she asks a question, you know, is, it is a nice day would seem like a stretch from her point of view. She could report the temperature and the cloud cover and that kind of thing, but not then dare risk going to as far as the next step. That's that's how I feel with these things. Uh, I feel like they've been scared out of it. So when you're saying, you know, can we get that quality of content? Yes, but it seems that somehow the neither broadcaster who is who you know meant to be our main uh, guidance, if you like, certainly are our most impartial. That they are scared stiff of being partial. Well, that's the the problem, and the BBC has a problem of balance because it doesn't go for impartiality it goes for balance and that means presenting both sides of the argument and quite often not analyzing whether or not one side of the argument is more you know has more veracity so um at what point is there a tipping point at which um they they listen to a statement from Number 10 Downing Street or from the Conservative Party and don't take it at face value. So we had the um, NHS announcement of 40 new hospitals, which turned out to be 
six hospitals and they weren't new they were being repaired and the other uh 34 were apparently being given a chance to bid for some extra funding to do some capital spending work or something and this unraveled within the space of an hour so but next time the tories make a a spending pledge it i the bbc will report it as if it's true again they won't they won't they won't pause for five minutes and i think i think that there is some very good partisan reporting and it is you have to acknowledge that it's partisan but there is interesting in-depth thought through informed reporting about lots of our political system um but you have oh so you're a fan of guido fawkes then um no but uh, (laughs) well it's so when you're a fan of you admire you you admire his you can admire his craft perhaps uh, it's it's impressively efficient fast Um, but 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 obviously but the well that's here's it i can actually say that i changed that there is some very good informed detailed forensic um clever and analytical partisan political reporting from the left (laughs) from the right there's nothing but abuse well you know that's them isn't it i I tell you what it comes down to i think i think there's there is there is more of it um that's emerged from the left in an area where it's possible to do it the technology has come along and has made it possible for people to create their you know to run their own newspaper if you like um not on not on print and in this country there's always been quite a tradition that the main media perhaps because capitalism works in a certain way and you have to have a certain amount of capital to own things tends to be right wing so i think it's been a natural act of correction that better quality things have emerged on the left because there's more of a market for it (laughs) you are essentially um uh, praising capitalism for supplying left-wing arguments well, you know, you can't you can't argue with the basic truth there. I'm I'm saying maybe they would have chosen to serve it. You know, maybe they're they're built in, you know, less capitalist models. But it is a market supply and demand situation, isn't it? Well, there's always been a huge. The alternative perspective is that people on the right are too dumb for the most part to set up sites. Well, I'm not. There are lots of right wing news sites, but not very few, or I don't know of one that is attempting to go for detailed analysis. And this is because, as um, uh, Stephen Colbert uh, says, um, reality has a well known liberal bias. Um, or a, a liberal in the American sense. So, a, a, reality has a left-wing bias. If you examine the, um, you know, the the details of whether or not water should be nationalised or what, there is a huge uh, bias towards the what would be seen as the left-wing solution of it as being the correct one, and that goes for tons and tons and tons of things. There is a, a yeah. So it's, it's so I do think that the idea that the market can provide it can't provide 
I don't think it can provide unbiased reporting, um, which means those that prefer right-wing media are getting less and less the ability to actually digest and think about things because there are fewer ideas that are genuinely worth discussing or stand up to scrutiny this is there's lots and lots of ideas on the left and lots and lots of discussion about them and how they're implemented and pressuring and stuff and on the right perhaps it's because uh, the left is full of lots of little ideas i have an idea about water i have an idea about wind farms i have an idea about a local farmers collective etc and on the right there's just one big idea Everyone else will sort it out. Market, bish bosh. Well, except that the um, the big idea that we've been we've seen, and I think we will see um, an extension of this or packaged differently from Johnson in the forthcoming election campaign, will be the sort of uh, red Tory, as it were, the sort of state controlled, um, you know, Toryism. So uh, May was uh, on the back of Nick Timothy's supposed ideas. Um, uh, you know, going to take a more state-led approach to lots of things. Pre-Thatcher Tories. Well, one nation. But it, it's not. It's, it's not just, quite one they, nation, is maybe, it? Maybe they've taken that one nation thing. You know, but that's going back to when there was a Ministry of Labour and stuff. We'll get well under that's under taking... uh, under the Jeremy Corbyn administration. We're going to get one of those. Because I imagine the Jeremy Corbyn Ministry of Labour, it would actually be designed to root out other political parties, people who think the other way, correct their wrong-headed thoughts and put them into camps for elimination, right? You're a very bad man. You've been reading this right-wing uh, <laughs> uh, media, haven't you? No, no, I was able to come you've, up with that. You've all just on my been own. reading The Guardian. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> no, I, I, it's all right. I don't, think, I don't know about how much re-education, but uh, I think... Um, do you know, I think it would be exceptionally poor politics to create a Ministry of Labour now if you're in a party called Labour. Well, it wouldn't be It wouldn't be called that. They're not... It, uh, they're not that dumb, right? They're not dumb at all. So we always ask whether or not a particular figure in the news is clever or stupid. And it does seem that there are lots of people... <laughs> out there being clever and stupid at the same time. I know, and I don't have time to absorb all of the news in each week. I never know who John's going to ask whether it's going to be clever or stupid. And Isn't everyone a bit dumb this week? Well, this is... OK, I was actually struggling to come up with um, a, a candidate. So I was thinking that maybe we could delve a little bit into someone who supposedly had a good Brexit. Um, and that would be um, SNP leader Ian Blackford. And okay, uh, you mean Westminster? Well, leader, yeah, not... uh, pff, yeah, of course. I mean, pff, who cares what the Scots think? The uh, but yeah, so the the, the leader in uh, uh, approximately forty percent of Scottish yeah, people, the, the parliament, the parliamentary uh, leader. So the SNP have had a, a good Brexit anyway. I would have thought. But every time you see a, a, a clip of PMQs and it's got Ian Blackford on it, he seems to be able to be more forthright than uh, any of the other um, people who stand up to talk. He seems to have more clarity and he, it goes down quite well. So to the extent that I hear lots of people on the left say, oh, I'd love to vote for the SNP if only the SNP was standing in 
England, which of course is not a you know there are certain technical reasons for that why they're not, but oh, they, they well it's it's only there you know they could choose to. Uh, and in fact, maybe it would be their way towards their ultimate goal. But the problem is, of course, that economically, the SNP are not as left-wing as they would like to paint themselves. They're not a naturally left-wing party. Um, and they are very, I think, they, they can be quite clever at um, letting the English public see that they are. So, is but is are they themselves, are they... This is, I suppose, this is the crux of the clever or stupid thing. Are they doing themselves a good Brexit but a bad independence, or are they, you know, are both uh, attack paths a route to what they ultimately want? I think well, it depends what you say. Whether they ultimately want, I mean, do they ultimately want independence and then they fall apart after that, or do they ultimately want? to run Scotland after its independence. And then the question is, what do they ultimately want? And I think the thing is, the SNP, to some extent, are a coalition. And they're playing the game to the independence line pretty well. Um, Brexit, from their point of view, is a total gift. It gives them the opportunity to ask for a new referendum sooner than later, with reasons that I think most people can sympathise with. And it takes away one of the big arguments for not voting for independence. So, you know, the previous referendum. It also, the Boris's new deal, which is much better described as a surrender deal than the surrender bill, because he is surrendering Northern Ireland, um, creates quite a clear argument that there should be, or can be, separation of parts of the union but you know bojo really seems clearly is happier with the independent scotland or hasn't really worked that out yeah it's it's um, uh, so in the um scottish uh referendum i the position was always we want to stay in the eu um, and then the, um, the the no camp would say, ah, but the EU's rules say that you can't stay in the EU, you'd need to apply to join the EU. And that could take a while. Yeah, so it's... Seven years, roughly, which is how long that deal's going to take to negotiate that we're about to have to, while we reapply to stay in bits of the EU, having just jumped out of it. So it's. I think, although it's a really, it's a, a quite a nice political move. When the when it, again when that hits the the light of day, that will really cause a lot of problems because there is no there is no us leaving but them staying in, is there? Um, no, it can't happen overnight, and the chances are that at the moment they need to Westminster's approval to have another referendum. And they're not going to get that straight away. And if we are generally going to have left by, you know, a week or so, um, in any sense, then it is a, you know, it's a, an application. Although obviously, I think you know the EU can be flexible, and it would certainly enjoy the politics of Scotland. You know, 
let you know, never forget that politics plays a part. I am pretty sure that 27 uh, prime ministers and presidents could find a pretty good way of letting Scotland in damn quickly and then coming over and building a really good Hadrian's Wall. Well, that is the, pro- that is the we- problem. If, if they're in and we in England are out, <laughs> there's a border issue that, um, well, some people have tried to solve before, as you say, the Emperor Hadrian, but um, it's... Uh, I don't know. We're going to have some problems with the uh, cross-border nature of uh, lower league football. That's a good point as well. Not well. It seems that sports aren't being considered. I think I would have um, been very interesting to see how things voted. Like, well, yeah, sure, but you can't be in UEFA anymore. Well, the, obviously you can't do that. But um, the uh, no, no, know, but the, lot, the number of people who think we're about to leave UEFA and the Eurovision Song Contest on the thirty-first as well, including um, Ian Holloway uh, blamed the, uh, basically, VAR and refs these days on the European Union. Yes. Really? Refs these <laughs> days? Yeah, they're, uh, this football, football's gone, gone to shit. We've got to get well, out of... I mean, it's never been any fun since we had referees <laughs> watching, stopping you kicking each other's heads off. Hacking um, was allowed. So I think I'm not sure we've come to a conclusion on the um, stupidity or otherwise of the SNP. No, well, OK, so no, I have a pretty solid conclusion. I think, I think they're playing a smart game by their... You know, they're playing the right game. They're playing the game for the audience. Well, if... you don't you don't want to be openly announcing policies that are going to narrow people off. It's in the same way that you know Johnson wanted to blast through the European deal really, really, really quickly because then nobody's going to have a look or point out any flaws. They're going to have voted on it by the time they know what they're doing. Um, it's you know it's exactly the same tactic, and it happens over and over again. So they concentrate on the thing that sounds good, which is basically stuff out of Braveheart, and they get their own way. And the other thing that's smart, and in fact a tactic that pretty much no other political party seem to have bothered with, is having somebody really good as your leader in the Westminster House. You know, just a competent politician. Mm, I don't know. Wait. The um, So we're going to say the SNP... And Ian Blackford in particular are being quite clever at the moment. I think we can agree that Ian Holloway is probably stupid. A lot of stupid about. There's certainly a lot of stupid about in the uh, mid to upper echelons of football. Um, so we've we've reached another conclusion in which, um, because of what's going on, we haven't really had an argument. It's annoying, isn't it? Because I was really thinking we should argue more. But unfortunately, Labour just seem to keep doing the right things. For the wrong reasons. Or the wrong things for the right reasons. There's a, there's a really good thing. I mean, don't going to get drawn into it, but Labour have played a game that has just about dragged out the thing. You, you have to feel that Labour's main goal has mostly been embarrassing the whichever Tory Prime Minister they've had to deal with in the Brexit era. We're on three As now. an opposition, you know, they've they've stopped yes. their they've they've stopped Theresa May, David Cameron post referendum and now Boris Johnson doing anything. And that's pretty much most of what you can do as an opposition. The um you know, stop stop them doing anything bad as far as you can and trying you know, and try and get them out. So that's yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's the other job, obviously, is to 
convince people that you are good, which unfortunately maybe hasn't gone as well as all that. Well, who knows what will happen in this week? Because by the time we talk again, we may well know what the extension would be, what the terms of engagement will be, and whether or not we're going to be. Um, ha- We've said that. Hang- whether or not we're going to be hanging our uh, baubles and uh, setting fire to our logs um, while um, not knocking on, not people will be knocking on doors, and um, if they don't look like the sort of person you can convince in a canvassing session, just sing a few verses of uh, "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen," go away with some peas pudding and um, a warm glow. In the meantime, I am definitely going to dress as Boris Johnson for Halloween. I think that would scare quite a lot of people. <laughs> we will, well, why not dress up as um, uh, the uh, Boris Johnson digging a ditch? Or uh, go, and dress uh, as Boris, go and dress as <laughs> Boris Johnson and find some ditches to lay in and then jump out. Um, it will be uh, interesting. That will be great content for our uh, Twitter and Facebook accounts, which are at that option pod and if you search on facebook for that option no longer exists we'll also put them up on our website thatoption.co.uk where you will find all of our increasing back catalogue of essentially not knowing what's going on and hoping it'll all be sorted out next week while we argue about the the right well the the right i was going the end of the world but i was going to say the rightness of the left from the left of the left and the left of the right um oh you had a proper line and i well i just uh, no i i I was just spitballing here mate and um and if you want to criticize or you have got a proper line for us email us hello at that option dot credit uk um until next week or until the end of the world i've been john bands he's been adam juniper i have yeah (laughs) goodbye